0: Hello ladies and gents, welcome to another episode of Behind the Brain Podcast. As always, thank you for tuning in. This week's guest is John Clark, the man who's just ran 48 marathons across 48 counties over 48 days and done the driving himself. So this man's brilliant. Um, I took a load away from this guy, especially just his mindset, but also how to work with clients a little bit better as well. So without further ado, enjoy the show and always... Let me know how it was and share it to people you think it might help. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gents. Welcome to another episode of Behind the Brain podcast. And today's guest is the legend who just ran 48 marathons across 48 counties for 48 days, John Clark. Hello, buddy.
1: Hello. Oh, are we <laughs> I'm still laughing at the intro that we didn't record? <laughs>
0: oh, so essentially, obviously, because being authentic and that. Um, I uh, I introduced John Clark, but w- while I was saying his name John, I was thinking, shit! I swear his second name's Clark. And then uh, yeah, he just dominated me by saying essentially it says it bloody on the Zoom call in the bottom of the screen, which yeah. it does. So that's my bad. It's been,
1: it's I just know a strong you strong morning so far. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I just know you as Mar- marathon John. Um, so John, um a few things I'd, we'll obviously talk about the runs and all because you've actually done other challenges as well, which is quite interesting. And obviously you've got a lot more. But I want to go a little bit back into like your sort of fitness career. Cause obviously I've, what was quite funny when I first messaged John, I'd actually messaged him before. Cause I heard him on a podcast on lift the bar and I didn't, I didn't know that was you were the dude that was doing the runs essentially until I messaged you. I was like, I've messaged this guy before and yeah but so can you talk a little bit about your fitness career please
1: yeah um it's been a long old long old decade really um essentially I finished university did the whole gonna try and become a personal trainer straight out of uni the classic build it and they will come if I'm qualified I'll get loads of clients and all the usual shit that happens with new qualified pts what did you study Um, at uni Sorry. Uh, sport and exercise science okay. and then I did a um, one, uh, basically one year of a masters for business management as part of a placement um, and then never ended up topping it up because I didn't see the value in the full masters for where my career was going hmm. um, so yeah so my background in actual academic study is the actual science that sits behind training um, which I know is quite rare nowadays in the fitness industry but that's probably <laughs> another argument for another day Um <laughs> before I start offending (laughs) the entire industry, Um, moving on swiftly on. So um, yeah, I did the whole build it and they'll come put it on Facebook, PT available, inbox me for details, and suddenly realised that actually it's a lot harder than that. Um, So I ended up working in sport development, I worked for the local authority, and this was twenty. 2011 2010 2011 so it was right about the London Olympics obviously in 2012 so it was all around delivering the Olympic legacy uh, getting kids engaged in sport and I learned a lot about what motivates people to exercise what motivates people to train when you're trying to convince a 15 year old kid that's never done anything to try rugby Mm -hmm. Like you learn quite a lot about the psychology that sits behind why people don't get active or don't take part in sport or competition, so on and so forth. So, anyway, delivered I say, delivered the Olympic legacy. I supported the delivery of the Olympic legacy locally. Let's just calm down a little bit there, John. Um, anyway, so did that, um, and then started to kind of climb the the ladder i suppose in the rat race is uh, local authorities and the higher i went the more money i earned but the less i was actually on the front line and the more it became managing spreadsheets and just managing budgets and it just wasn't enjoyable Mm -hmm. um and that's a theme later on in life with my actual career in the fitness industry but essentially i decided i wanted to go back into personal training get back on the front line and actually feel like i was making a difference rather than just managing a budget so you saw those lessons that i'd learned Um, Started again, started part-time coaching, built that up to become a full-time income, left the day job. And apparently, according to Facebook memories, that was, I believe, eight years or seven years ago yesterday. So quite ironic we're talking about that today. Um, And then, yeah, from there, six months on, I was fully booked, couldn't fit any more people in. Uh, the gym that I was renting space from at the time didn't want to go down the small group personal training route so I decided to open up my own facility took a leap of faith um, which again has been another recurring theme of the last 10 years and um, opened up what was the first small group personal training facility in the area um, that was called Fit360 that was a literal 10 by 10 meter shoebox in terms of Mm. what it ended up becoming Um, and in that little tiny mecca of the world of fitness that was mine we built up into i think it's about 120 members when we expanded mm. uh one gym became a bigger gym became another gym in the city center so i then had two so i had a group training facility in the city center and then a larger sgpt on the outskirts that then became three as we then opened a facility in a village seven miles down the road and then ended up buying a martial arts facility and then expanded that into the malvern gym as well so kind of fast track six years into facility ownership it was three gyms two martial arts studios an online training business and pretty unhappy to be honest I built it up into hundreds of members making the Mm. impact that I always wanted to make but we'd literally come full circle it was managing spreadsheets managing budgets and managing people rather than actually delivery and I ended up chasing other people's version of progress and I think that's a recurring theme for a lot of people is that you chase a goal that you think you should be chasing because that's what other people deem as success Mm -hmm. so every time I opened another gym it was like oh well isn't he doing well he must be doing well if he's opening another gym or so on and so forth so anyway um myself and my business partner um essentially wanted to go in two different directions um I wanted to downsize he wanted to expand so those two visions for the company were never gonna match mixed with me not enjoying it mixed with me deciding that I'd had enough of it so I sold it all um at Christmas time
0: wow.
1: and kept kept the smallest gym out of the out of the facilities uh, the gym in Malvern um and focused on new projects and new things so I now run a consultancy which works with other gym owners which I think is quite different to a lot of consultancies in the industry because a lot of in a lot of consultancies that work with gym owners nowadays it's more people more more money more numbers mm-hmm. whereas I start with what is actually the end goal here? I think, Mm. again, it's trying to really drill down with the owners. Like, your version of success might be time freedom. It might be Mm. coaching because you enjoy it. It might be more money. It might, whatever it might be. So the consultancy really works. I only work with 10 gym owners at a time. So it's really working on their personal goals, ambitions, and actually making sure that they they actually want those things rather than chasing them because that's what they think the industry means that they'll be succeeding in. Um, I run an online training company called the Athlete Programme where I work with um, aspiring and current athletes. Um, And then I also obviously run my own gym still as well. And then a bit left field, I opened up the opposite of the fitness industry, which is a pizzeria um, in March as well. Um, And that was purely an exploration into what I know in business, can it be translated into other industries and uh, so far, touch wood, um, it, it has, and that's gone from strength to strength, and we're doing doing pretty well with that, so that's obviously another another few lessons learned in the joy of the hospitality industry, um, but yeah, alongside all of that actual fitness element, um, I was a National League rugby player, uh, got injured, hurt my neck pretty badly, um, I actually broke my neck, but it sounds worse than it is and ended up retiring ended up going into strongman ended up becoming two times britain's national strongest man uh two times middle strongest man competed at england's three or four times had to retire from that because of a knee injury um went on a weight loss journey lost 85 kilos uh and then decided to undertake um multiple acts of elite idiocy with all of the challenges that i've been doing in the last two years and that pretty much brings us to present times
0: Fucking hour, John. Slow down. <laughs>
1: right, so, so much. <laughs> you, yeah, it's, like uh, quite quite a lot in, uh, in seven or eight years, well, ten years.
0: But so, what question I wanted to, because obviously you had that um part where you started. You really learn about why people don't. I was talking to a client uh, this morning, actually. I was coaching. I was saying about how sometimes. Like a, a client will work with you and you have every answer they need, you could tell them what they needed what they need to do and they don't do it. What what did you learn then from when you started trying to get kids that don't play sport trying to get them into sport? And how did that carry over to when you started coaching again? What what I suppose what's the psychological barrier that people make themselves, essentially?
1: For me, I think it comes down to the reason why you take part in physical activity, sport, challenges, um, business, what career, whatever it is that you're actually trying to engage in or potentially avoid. Um, The fitness industry is really good at telling you all the benefits of exercise based on health and wellness, but pretty poor at actually telling you all the other benefits in terms of lifelong aging and being part of something and so on and so forth. So I think the... The issue for many is that they feel like they should be doing something, and then that almost creates an even bigger barrier because then they haven't found what it is that they enjoy yet, and then because they Mm -hmm. haven't found it, they decide that, oh, there mustn't be anything for me. Um, And I say with all of our gym uh, members, when they come in for their 30 day trial, like this is essentially to see whether we are your we are the right fit for you and whether Mm -hmm. you can find your version of fitness within our building. It's not for me to tell you what your vision of fitness is. It's not for me to tell you and validate you based on whether you need to lose weight or build muscle or get stronger. That's for you to decide how you want to measure your version of fitness. And it was the same with working with the the kids in terms of trying to get them to play sport, just telling them to be active because otherwise they're going to get overweight or not healthy or not fit was probably not going to work because they already, the thing is, they already knew that. You don't need to tell them again. They know that and they're still consciously ignoring it and just not being active. So it's finding the softer side for a lot of these people that I was working with in around the the realms of teamwork and being part of something and finding something that you enjoy so it doesn't actually feel like exercise and so on and so forth so I think for many it's they've defined their version of fitness based on other people's belief system Mm -hmm. and then that creates an unattainable version of fitness for them and it's the same as Instagram Facebook where we've gone from cover model abs and now we're moving into this whole hybrid world of you should be able to have abs and then also do handstand walks and then also be able to deadlift three times your body weight and Mm. fitness is just getting more and more and more inaccessible to the average common person And that's the message that I put out to everybody is that your version of fitness is your own. And only you get to decide that just as your version of hard is your own. Mm. For some people, their version of hard is running 48 marathons for another person. It's just actually getting up in the morning and having a breakfast that consists of a a micronutrient instead of just sugar. Mm. Um, So I think that's the issue that we have as the industry as a whole is that we've got a lot of people telling a, a large population of people what healthy is, what fitness is, what training is. It's not for you to tell anybody. I view fitness mm. like a religion. It's for you to decide what your religion is, and I'll respect mm. that, and I'll support you in your belief system. But I don't have to challenge it unless, obviously, you want me to. Um mm. So, yeah, I think that – I guess that's quite a long answer to a short question, but I think those are some of the key take-homes from working with uh, a younger population, and also that has transferred into the, the older adult population that I now work with.
0: No, that that's a great answer, mate, because you – you're sort of letting them make the decision off their own back, because humans inherently don't like being told what to do or what they should do. Even though, like I said earlier, me and you will have the answers for these people. We could go read this book; this will change your life. But they don't. They won't. They don't want to. That you know. And it's no, that, like, how much at does the that end
1: help? of the day. Yeah, adherence is key. That the best yeah. program in the world is the one that you stick to, and yeah. the best diet in the world is the one that you can do scientifically is keto the best way of losing weight in my opinion absolutely not but if you can stick to it because it's an actual system and a structure that you can adhere to sweet let's roll with it mm-hmm. and that's a very different mindset to where I was even as a coach even four years ago like if I had a client that came to me and said I'm doing a keto I'll call them an idiot tell them why they're wrong and show them, show them all the literature whereas now as long as they understand why that diet works yeah. And it's not magic voodoo science and isn't going to speed up any results because of the scientific nature. But it will if, mm. because of their adherence to it. That's sweet. Let's do it. I'll support you and I'll help you. But I think that that's the problem is that so many people have their way of doing things and they try yeah. and fit them into a box. And as you say, people mm. don't like being told what to do. And if we're trying to work with a population of people that for the most part that reach out for a personal trainer have had poor eating habits, poor training habits for quite a long time giving them a 12-week plan or a structure to have to live in or a box to have to now fit themselves into just doesn't work. And Mm -hmm. then we see drop-off, client leave, client attrition increases, and then it's this whole vicious cycle of I need more clients, but I can't keep the ones that I've got. And if you just actually softened a little bit and actually asked some questions instead of giving them the answers all the time, um, I think coaches could probably have more of an impact than what they do and probably have more prosperous businesses as a byproduct.
0: Yeah, that's another great answer, mate. Um,
1: Can you tell off. I've been doing a few podcasts, <laughs>
0: before, yeah. mate? It's just a... <clears throat> you just you, you hit me so you hit me with so much. I'm like, I was going to ask this, but now I want to ask this. <laughs> 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 no, that so that's where I was going to go to. So, what kinds of people? were you comparing yourself to obviously, when you was opening up these gyms and us, you know, when you said you felt you had all this stuff and you felt you had all these successful businesses and you actually felt unfulfilled. I imagine you was like, when does yeah. it end? Like I'm doing all this stuff. I think that's going to be the next milestone and, and I'll be happy there. Will I get there? And it's like, oh, no, I'm not.
1: Yeah, and, and I, it took. the irony is I figured this out in my training and my competition far far quicker than I figured it out in business. And I remember standing on the podium with my first Britain's Natural Strongest Man. I trained for it for a year, trained my bollocks off, given everything, finally won the trophy, stood on the podium, got given my big old trophy and the heavens didn't open, the angels didn't arrive, the rainbows yeah. didn't appear. There wasn't this epiphany or even a slight sense of achievement. It was like, fuck, now what do I do? Mm. I've lost... I've lost my purpose. It's like, okay, well, all right, fine, let's do it twice. Let's defend it. Let's get it. Let's, let's be the first person to win it back to back. Mm. Year two rolls around, do the same, still on the podium, same thing. And it was at that moment when I won my second title that I was like, yeah, do you know what? It's not, the end that fulfills you it's the journey when I look back on my strongman career now like even if you ask me to list all the the trophies I've won and like my trophies on that shelf behind me like I sometimes have to look at them thinking what what the fuck was he that what was that one for what did I do that day yeah Um, I don't actually remember the wins and the losses as as such I remember the training sessions the the days where I trained when I didn't want to where I drove Mm. two and a half hours to train with a friend because that would better me as an athlete and also help them and it's the journey that I remembered rather than the results. And I think this is very stereotypical with men, but we also all seem to want to chase this like legacy in this, or Mm. I want to have my name in the history books for X, Y, or Z, or whatever means something to you. And like, looking back, like, those titles don't mean more to other people than they do to me I think they mean mm. more to my inner circle because they were things they could hang their hats on to say that they helped me achieve mm. um, but as the actual person doing it it wasn't the achievement at the end it wasn't the rainbow and the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow it was the journey that took me to that point and mm. and that was the same with the business so it was you compare yourself to other gyms other independent business owners and I remember when I opened F3S Mark 724 whatever version we were on when we expanded for the third time and it was one of the biggest independent gyms um personal training gyms in in england in size and Mm -hmm. client numbers and even that fact i was just like well it means more to other people than it does to me and yeah you you go well okay well what's next after that and it's the same as with all these challenges like if you think that the challenge is going to fulfill you it's not if you're not enough having run one marathon you won't be enough having run 48 yeah um that's all it's the journey that you have to prosper and you have to enjoy and you have to appreciate and it's the thing we always forget the most because we're always striving for the next thing And we'll have all have done it like oh well if mm-hmm. I get to that amount of money in my bank balance I'll be happy and I said many times before, happiness isn't a state, it's an emotional response to a situation, like you can win the lottery, but then crash your car, like you go from happiness to sadness, Mm. like you don't find this perpetual state of happiness, but you can make as many opportunities in your day that create happiness, and for me that is my aim in life now, it's to create a life that I don't need a holiday from whether that's through financial freedom time freedom fun Mm. challenges whatever it that might be that is my now definition of fitness Mm. whereas before it was how many holidays can we fit in this year how many planes can we get on because I just need to get the fuck away from this life that I've created where I hate how busy I am and I've got money in the bank but I don't spend it because I can't because I'm tied to my desk and so on and so Mm. forth so I guess the, the the shorter answer to that is I compared myself to everyone, which reminds me that comparison is a thief of joy and forgot to set my own yardstick of success. And it wasn't until I used the lessons I'd learned in the performance environment into my Mm -hmm. business environment that shit got a lot better. And, and the irony is when I sold the gyms, the amount of people that were messaging me saying, what are you doing? You're making a mistake. Like, don't Mm. fuck it up. Like, and It's your fucking choice. Yeah. And but but i I wrote a blog post about this the other day. People judge you by their standards. And if somebody's standard of success is to wear multiple gyms and have multiple sites and earn X amount of money, then that's what they'll judge your success on. Mm. But for me, that's not how I judge my success anymore. And it's okay to change that. I think as as people, we tend to get stuck in this rut of going, oh well, that's who I am, that's what I do, and I can't possibly change that. I mean i mean as i said when i went through the intro of who is john clark i hate talking about myself in the third person but there we go um it was this like the amount of shit that i fit into that 10 years is pretty significant so even if you're doing something now that you've done for 10 years it doesn't mean you can't change it if you really don't like it and you really want to change
0: Hmm. what how was home life when you was like well being i suppose that successful gym life is that the thing that was put on the back burner or and you put yourself on the back burner I imagine as well how was that sort yeah. of like this this work-life balance sort of thing was that uh, I
1: was yeah I was toxic to myself like my first gym expansion um cost me my relationship with the mother of my daughter we ended up splitting okay. up becoming different people mm-hmm. um had several like relationships that never worked because I was never present and then mm. The thing is, like you know, I am a, a typical rugby lad. Love a beer, love partying, will have any excuse or reason to go out on a Saturday night and so on and so forth. And it all just became a distraction.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and so it was that whole, like, I was living like a 21-year-old whilst being 30 years old. And it was mm-hmm. just like, it, it was always going to end up come crashing down around me at some point. Um, but you don't know what you don't know until...
0: until it happens, yeah.
1: Know it. And, and the thing is, COVID was the beacon of it was that everything stopped. You couldn't escape from anything. You were literally in your own four walls, in your own house, in your own head. And you were like, well, normally I'd be going out, getting on the piss for the rugby lads right now. And now I'm actually sat at home thinking about what have I done with my life? Like, why am I at this point? Why do I have this money and this amount of gyms and this amount of members? But I'm still looking for a distraction i'll never forget the moment it was towards the end of last year and i remember the old zoom quizzes where that was our version of a social on a saturday night and i remember basically getting pissed on my own but on zoom with the boys and i remember shutting the laptop lid because we'd finished our quiz and i was absolutely hammered and i was like the very the realization of me just sat in my own house on my own pissed i was like what what am i doing and, yeah. and it was at that point where I really realized that actually, do you know what? Yes, I've got all this success as deemed by other people's version of success, but it's not my, it's not success mm. for me. And mm. not that I not that I was ever like had any issues with alcohol or partying or poor behavior in that respect, but I could see that it was being used as a distraction. And I think a lot of yeah. people, same with food, isn't it? You're unhappy, so you eat, yeah. uh, you're unhappy, so you drink, you find distractions to to take away the realization of the reality that you're living in. Whether that's intentional or unintentional, and at that point it became a realization that it was an intentional, an unintentional distraction, and it was at that point where you get to make two choices: you either stick or twist. And for me, it was like, well, I don't want to continue down this path, so time to make some changes. Um, and then, yeah, here we are, um, now in a really happy relationship, in a really, really good place personally, professionally, mm. um, and and everything else that comes with it.
0: It's, so that definitive point when you had that like those deep thoughts is like right I'm gonna sell the business and that's it
1: yeah well it wasn't that it wasn't at that point I decided it was like I just don't want to do this anymore but even then I couldn't see a way out because to sell a business of that size obviously to find someone that wants to buy that in COVID and everything else that came with it was always going to be a big issue and then essentially without getting too too much into it as i say january rolled around me and my business partner wanted to go in two different directions weren't seeing eye to eye over various things yeah um and that was my opportunity and could i have probably sold it for more yeah probably but i'd have been continuing trying to clean yeah and yeah yeah like don't get me wrong i did i did well from it but at the same time I think it's that whole thing of negotiation, isn't it? If both parties leave the table feeling that they did all right but could have done better, then it's probably a successful negotiation. Yeah. Um and yeah, so that was the end of that. And I genuinely like the minute that we shook hands to say, Okay, we'll go our separate ways and this is the agreement. Although it's the first time I'd shaken anyone's hand for eighteen months, so well no, it was about a year, wasn't it? Yeah. So that was a bit of a weird moment anyway. It was just like a weight had lifted off my shoulders. I was like, Yeah, I'm fine, I'm finally fucking Free of a burden that I've created for myself by chasing somebody else's version of progress.
0: That's so good to hear, like from yourself, as like someone like from the outside looking in. Oh, that guy's mega success. Well, you were successful. He's got it all. He's got it all. But like, it's true, isn't it? When like actually, there's so much more going on behind the scenes that we, you just don't even see. Do you know what I mean? But I I do think sometimes that naturally comes from having quite a successful business, isn't it? Of just trying to make that work, especially in an industry of the fitness realm, because it's not like just a product that you sell and give to someone and they have it and it's there like this, this. One transaction. This cup I'm holding up, by the way, for the podcast. Sorry, um, it's actually you've got a. There's a lot more thought behind what you have to do, isn't it? And it's, it's, and we can. You can't help but get emotionally involved in that.
1: Yeah, and I think the the thing is as well is like other people then judge you as well, and uh, like cars, like you're talking about transactions, cars are a classic example. Like I remember when I bought my dream car, when I was 30. And there were people in the gym that were then annoyed, because they, they What car was it, was, by the way? It was a Mustang. Lovely. And um, I set myself a goal that when I was 30, if I could, I'd buy a Mustang. And I was 30 and I could, so I bought my Mustang. And what I spend my personal money on and the profits that I make from my business and my prerogative but people in the business or some people in the business criticized it saying oh well you're spending our money on buying a brand new car and gallivanting around and it's this idea that you can give someone everything Mm. and you can build a really good relationship with them but if their version of success is their car and you go and buy a new car then suddenly they don't like that Mm. and it's this whole idea that people want you to do well but just not too well yeah and as soon as you realize that you realize that actually like as much as people want you to succeed there's also people that without even realizing also want you to fail because it then makes them feel better about where they are in life Mm. and that's also been a theme of the 48 48 48 is like just understanding that people's judgment of you is not normally your concern it's based Mm. on their preconceived ideas and their their preconceived notions on various different things and not, no matter what you say to them i could argue with people about all well, i've done for them or the services i've provided how i've yeah. increased the service standard and they still haven't had a pay rise they haven't had a pay increase and so on and so forth mm. but it doesn't matter because they're already judging based on their preconceived conception yeah and that's why i think personal training is really difficult because you build relationships with people your business grows then the relationships you built they then get frustrated because you're not as accessible as you once were because you've now got more people to deal with. And it's that they don't understand the relationship, but having more people in your system gives you more freedom to provide more of a service Mm. in other areas. And so it ends up becoming, as the business grows, it slowly starts to cannibalize itself if you're not careful because of the change in service and because of the relationships that you built that allowed you to build a business that could grow in the first place. Mm. So, but yeah, the, the personal training industry is a complex world because of the nature of relationship building. Um, and then because of the relationship that then changes as the business grows and succeeds.
0: With, um, so I'm happy with uh, your pre-life uh, breakdown. That's been very, very helpful. <laughs> Let's actually get into the challenges that you've done. Because obviously people, and we talk about people sort of um, wanting you to fail with the 48 because so I find that interesting not um, I can't remember if it was Jamie Alderton said um, something like so when cause I used to work for him basically and he said he goes I'll get the most amount of money once I've completed the challenge as that have you noticed that has that has that been something like you once you've done it then it's the like it's gone right up
1: yeah it went in stages we had um to begin with, there was a few believers that backed me from an early, early time point and chucked some money in the pot. And then the first few, first week or so, we had about a thousand pounds a day coming into the pot and it was all brilliant, all rosy. And then literally from day 10 to day 35, 40, it was barren. It was like 100 quid here, 200 quid there, trickling yeah. in. And then, yeah, it wasn't. I think we entered the last two days and we're on about 32 or 33,000. And then by the Sunday, so th- two days on when we'd finished the challenge, 24 hours after finishing, we're up to 40K. Yeah. So we had over 25% of the donations all come in pretty much as we completed mm. the, the project. Um, And like even last week, uh, a local business put in a £1,000 a week oh, after brilliant. we finished the challenge. Um, But I think it's not necessarily just that people will only put money into it once they see it's done, but I think it's also people just inherently forgetful yeah and it's that yeah it's that whole i forget the name of it but that theory that you will always take as long to do a task as you give yourself the time to complete it in. Mm. and so for a lot of people it's like well i've got until the end of this challenge to sponsor them so it yeah. wasn't until the challenge finished he's like they're like oh shit i actually don't have to do that because i've run out of time <laughs> yeah but i think yeah. there's also an element of that as well yeah, but yeah there was a lot of people across the the, the the project that that were quite vocal about wanting it to fail or see it fail um And even now, there's still people taking pot shots at it. So, um, but it is what it is. Like I say, people judge you by their standards. Um, And and, and, yeah, you just got to follow what you believe to be right and what you believe Mm. is best for you or the project that you're doing. Like I I said on a podcast the other day, I raised around 48 marathons in 48 days, put myself through the ringer, raised 41,000 pounds. Raise twenty and a bit grand for food banks, twenty and a bit grand for grants for uh, projects that are supporting children in need, and I still got criticised for it. Yeah, cool. So, what whatever goal that you're thinking of doing that you're scared of doing because of other people's opinion, no matter what it is, someone will find something to pick up. So mm. just fucking do it yeah. because you're never going to please everyone, and there'll always be a critic. There'll always be someone that says you can't, you shouldn't, you won't, or you you mm. it's just not possible. Um, and he goes back to that whole man in the arena quote. And at the end of the day, you are the man in your own arena. So you decide what, what you want to do, not other people.
0: With um, So what other challenges you do? Because obviously, so I had uh, the pleasure of running with John for like a, a puny amount. Um, and you were saying stuff about the ski erg, wasn't you? What, so what was that? Talk me through that.
1: So 18 months ago, the, me and Fergus Crawley, I don't know whether you come across Fergus, but we jokingly christened it elite idiocy the other day on his podcast but um <laughs> so it was 18 months ago and there was um a young boy locally that needed a quarter of a million pound I think it was uh, for life-saving treatment abroad for leukemia uh, the NHS couldn't help him and it was now a race against time to raise funds so all of Worcestershire came together and did a hell of a job in trying to raise money and our bit was to try and raise uh, just five grand by doing a 24-hour team skio and it wasn't getting anywhere. So we had loads of people co- keen to come out and keep a skier moving for 24 hours. But in the grand scheme of it, for most people, it wasn't impressive enough to yeah. donate. Yeah. And um, we're getting to the, I think it was about a week out. And I think we'd raised about 50 quid. And it was like, this is going to go nowhere unless we do something to up the ante. So I text um, a friend at the time and I was like, is there a 24 hour skier world record for someone on their own? And uh, anyway, we Googled it and found out that there was. And I was like, right, fuck it. If it's been done before, it means it's possible. So if it's possible, I'll have a go. Mm. Um, this was before when I had a completely different mindset around these challenges. Whereas now, I'll I'll decide if it's possible rather than seeing whether someone's done it before me. But yeah, so yeah, so I, I was just like, right, I'll, I'll have a crack. No training. I did two training sessions in the build up to try and figure out pacing and how the hell I was going to try and attack a a two hundred and fifty thousand meter um number over a 24hour period and then away we went so managed to break the world record about 20 minutes into the 23rd hour and then tried to put some distance on it and that's since been broken by um by a guy that I'm at, by a marine actually or Alex marine that's uh, I'm now rowing the Atlantic with but more on more on that later mm-hmm. um so yeah so I managed to do that and we ended up raising I think it was six brand and and obviously helped Oscar and he's now with the the, all the work done by Worcestershire has now gone on to receiver's treatment is now cancer free and, and back living a somewhat normal life from what I've, I've heard or seen. So that was the first kind of like foray into how putting myself through a bit of discomfort and suffering can really make a difference and help others in some way, shape or form. Um, and from that because at the time I was also going through a weight loss journey. So I'd got as a strong man up to 185 kilos in body weight, which wasn't healthy or sustainable, but for Mm. the time it was fit for the purpose that my body needed. Um, And so I was also looking at things that I could do based on the fact that at the time I was 140 kilos. So running or anything kind of high impact was out regardless anyway. And then a friend, unfortunately tried to commit suicide. um, I think it was about six months after. And he said at the, when I spoke to him about it a few, a few days after and I was like, why did not you speak to calm or the Samaritans or anyone like that, if you couldn't speak to us and he didn't even know that calm existed. So the next day, I think it was World well, suicide prevention day. And I was like, right, well, again, how can I use my stupidity and suffering to maybe help some others? So let's see if we can raise some awareness for calm and use yeah. my anger about the situation in a positive place rather than John's typical, atypical reaction, which is just get pissed and try and ignore it. And yeah, just- like not do anything useful. Um, so yeah, I decided to try and break the 100,000 meter world record. So it was like just working down the list of difficulty in the skier So the two ultra endurance ski erg world records were the 24 hour and 100,000 meters. And I broke both of those in the same tournament period. period. Um, so I think I beat that by about 20 minutes. And it was at that point I was like, right, I've done the skier to death. Um, Let's find something different. And uh, so, yeah, I did David Goggins' 4 4 which is four miles every four hours for 48 hours, yeah. um, which I got to the end and I was like, surprisingly, it was difficult, but it wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. Did you feel like um, that after
0: the ski erg as well? Like, you're like, I'm actually really capable. Do you know what I mean? You obviously so... backed yourself and you prepared for it, but did you... That... Do you know what I mean? That That feeling of being, feeling powerful, did you feel that after the scare, like, I can do more?
1: Yeah, I think Not right
0: now, but yeah. The,
1: the thing is, the majority of people's fears around going after a big goal or something they deem scary is the fear of doing it is worse than the doing of it. And the memory of doing it is never as bad as the time spent doing it. So... Mm. During the 200,000 metre world record, there were times where I was like, fuck, I can't keep this pace. This is, I'm not, I'm going to have to drop off. I can't, I'm I'm actually going to fail at this. But managed to get through it, used various different techniques and, and kept on course and got it done. It's the same as the 24 hour skier. I remember, I think it was about 13 or 14 hours in. I was like, this is bullshit. I can't feel my feet. My little te- um, little fingers in both hands feel like they've gone numb. And I can't do this for another 10 11 12 hours but you get through it and it isn't until you finish that you get this oh actually it wasn't as bad as I thought because mm. already as soon as you've finished as soon as you've that activity you're like oh you've forgotten how much pain you're in and it's same as if you're doing a hard finisher jump on the assault bite and go as hard as you can for 30 seconds as soon as you're off it you're like oh actually despite the feeling like you're about to explode your lungs and collapse on the floor and, and fall never, asleep never, <laughs> yeah and never be able to breathe again <laughs> As soon as you finished, you're like, oh, yeah. actually, I probably could have done 35 seconds or 40 seconds or gone again. And so, yeah, so it was always that. And it was like, once you finished, you're like, well, that didn't, I didn't finish me off. That didn't break me. Um, so what, what can I do? What can I achieve? What glass ceiling have I put on myself based on my own beliefs or other people's opinions? And a lot of people say, oh, you're trying to find something that will break you. or You're trying to find yourself. And it's like, as hopefully you probably can see from the first forty minutes of this conversation, like I've got a pretty good handle on myself. I'm not looking to yeah. find myself. I know I know who I am, and mm. I know my weaknesses. I know my strengths, and I'm looking to better myself, not find myself. But in terms of looking to find something to break me, no. Like at the end of the day, like if I'm going to challenges because I think I can do it, and if it does break me, then I'll shake the challenger's hand and say well done. But mm. for me, it's around self development, self improvement. Um, showing others what is possible and raising the bar like there's a reason not every challenge has escalated into the next level of stupidity um so yeah i think whenever you finish them there is a sense of pride and achievement and then it's like right well if i can do that what else can i do and Mm. and hence why you then move on to the next thing but that's why where we go back to the original stuff we're talking about why the journey is so important because you can keep raising the bar but eventually that bar can't be risen any further like Mm once you've done 48 marathons in 48 country uh, counties what's next like go around Mm -hmm. europe go around the world and same as the iron cowboy now he's done 101 ironmans what bar is there left to raise like you can't go much further than that you probably can but what's it really going to achieve what lessons are you going to learn if you do 150 instead of 101 like um so you've got to enjoy the journey because at the end of the day the destination's can always be improved those numbers in your bank account can always be made better but if you don't enjoy the process of getting there then all these challenges are for nothing anyway
0: yeah because like you said it you know like the people say oh you need to find yourself well if i'm doing challenges and these hard events to find myself i'm never going to find myself because that's the wrong reason to do these events and challenges isn't it that's not that's that's the wrong motivation for yeah,
1: it but when, we, when we go back to the stuff we we're talking about earlier with the fitness industry like there's this thing in the world of fitness now where it's like you should all be doing something hard and it's mm. like the amount of people that message me being like oh, i've never done anything but i want to do a hundred miler because i think that that would be a really good challenge and it's like, it's like i'm Whoa. not saying yeah that's like <laughs> i'm not saying you can't like fuck it all power to you my friend i will back you like if i'd have said to me a year ago maybe 48 marathons i'd have been like let's just chill out a bit and let's just do one before we do 48 let's run before we can walk and it's almost counterproductive because i'm telling people to take away your glass ceilings and shoot for the stars and and do what Mm. you genuinely think you're capable of but the message that i'm trying to say is people chase doing something hard for external validation because that's what the fitness industry is now putting out there it's like no no one posts a mediocre lift or a mediocre workout or them Mm standing there after a training session go that was all right wasn't that hard didn't mm. do did what i needed to do tick the boxes did the minimal effective dose job done mm. that's not that's not sellable but what's sellable is taking yourself to the wall in this promise that you might find yourself or you'll learn new things about yourself and don't get me wrong these challenges you always do learn something new but it's not an epiphany it's not a, i found myself it's not a now i know who i am It's Mm. just you reaffirm what you thought you knew or you challenge some of your preconceived ideas about how tough you are or how resilient you are or how much you can suffer. Mm. And I think it comes back to the same with when I work with gym owners on their businesses. It's why do you want to do this if Mm. you're doing it for external validation? that's not the answer yeah and it's the same like the same as that like the 48 like if i was doing it for external validation and i finished the run and then see people accusing me of supposedly conning everyone out of 41 grand because i was keeping the money for myself which is genuinely a, a post that someone wrote about me despite the fact it's a fully regulated charity by the charity commission and hmrc but that's
0: but, by the I, way i, I just yeah. thought you were just saying that as an example as like do you know what i mean that it's like that's no, actually no, something that
1: <laughs> yeah yeah genuinely I actually had someone write it and try and tag me in it to say that I've kept the money but anyway judging me by yeah. their standards and what they'd do if they'd raised 40 grand yeah. but the the point is like the if I was doing my 48 for external validation then as soon as i finish and I've read that status all well, my external validation is gone
0: because mm. you'll focus
1: on the negative and think oh shit do people believe that is that what people yeah. think and I had people message me because my Instagram following went from, I think it was 7,000 to 11,000 whilst I was doing the 48. And they were like, oh, it must be awesome that this challenge has increased your social media reach. And I'm like, if, if externally validating your life by a number of Instagram followers is why you're Mm -hmm. doing a challenge, that's never going to be a powerful enough reason to push yourself when it gets really fucking hard. Yeah. Um, And so, yeah. So I guess with all these things, if people are going to push for something and really challenge themselves and, Find their version of hard. Then my message to everyone is do it for the right reasons and do it like anything in business, life, challenges, sport. Do it because you want to do it or because you've got an internal driver, not because you're looking for someone externally to validate it because I can promise you now that will not be a strong enough why when you want to quit.
0: And yeah, like I was going to say, if you was doing doing this 48, 48, 48 on an external validation, you probably wouldn't have finished it.
1: Oh, absolutely not. Because
0: when absolutely you're in that not. trench, though, the, the, it's like, it's that. Yeah, it just wouldn't have happened. Something yeah, as dark like, and as deep as that and as long. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I was talking to um, a guy I ran with on one of the runs who's an ex-Marine and he was saying like a lot of people think that a lot of people try and go through the selection process and whatnot to get that. It's a green beret, isn't it? The Marines. Mm. Um, to get that beret at the end of it and to be like, oh, armor Marine. But the people that tend to do that are the ones that tend to fail because it's not Mm. that, that is just something you get at the end that says that you passed. And it's the same as when you're actually out there, in conflict you're not doing it because you want external people to externally validate that you're a marine you're doing it for the mates by your side and mm. because of the bigger picture because of your internal drivers about why you're out there in the first place and mm. there's a lot of lessons that I think can be learned from the military into everyday life and I had the privilege and honor to spend a lot of time with ex-service personnel whilst I was running and it kind of really did validate that point that external validation is not the reason why we should do things. Um, but unfortunately it takes chasing external validation to then get it, to then realize
0: mm, it's it didn't local. matter in
1: the first place. Um, and as much as people can tell you that sometimes you've got to learn it by doing it. Um, yeah. yeah.
0: You think, you think you went through that, you went through that period, you know, you was looking at peers yeah, and seeing how successful they are. And it's like, Oh, I've got, to, I've got to push that envelope a little bit more with the, 48 48, 48 48 um when you can just
1: call it the 48 if let's call it the 48 it. please yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: when you on the worst day of the worst run what was the th- what was the thoughts if there were any to get the job done like the, the the days where you were probably like not far from going i can't do this what was something that what, what kept you going
1: yeah. So this is something I've been really honest about is like, I got a little bit of criticism online about showing that it was hurting. Mm. Cause there's, there's a lot of these people that do these challenges and they like to make out that you can't hurt me. I won't say his name, but you can pretty much figure out who I'm talking about by that, by that sentence that it's, I'm indestructible. I can't be hurt. You can't touch me. My body will never give up on me because my mind is strong, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, yeah, cool. But that doesn't really work like that. Like, mm. In the darkest of moments, whether you're in a challenge, whether mm. you're in a relationship breakup, whether you're in a battle zone, like there will be times where you think, I don't know if I can get through this, but it's yeah. how you react to that emotion that matters. So yeah. It's all right to have that fear, to have that realization, but you have to then decide how you react to acknowledging those words in your head. Yeah. And I think that's the different, I think that's an important message that I've really tried to put out to a lot of people it's, it's okay to think about quitting yeah like that is absolutely okay it's but a normal emotion open. isn't it yeah it, it's an emotion and, and emotions mm. can't really be ignored like they're, they're always going to be there whether you choose to ignore them or not and if you choose to ignore them eventually they're going to eat like a fucking train mm. as previous examples of this conversation have shown so it's fine to acknowledge it and i'd actually encourage people to acknowledge it explore why you want to quit explore why you want to th- why you think you're ready to quit Mm. and deconstruct that emotion because emotion is a terrible driver for decision-making and yeah. what are the facts? So every time I was like, I'm fucking done. I can't, I can't do this. It was like, well, can you take another step? Yes. Okay. Take another step. Oh, is that really it? but can you take another one? Yeah. Okay. Take another step, mm. keep taking steps. And then 51,000 steps later, you've done another 26.2 miles and you, you live to fight another day. And so I use three methodologies for my challenge. One I stole from a guy called Chad Wright. He's an ex Navy SEAL in America and a really um, established ultra runner. And his thing is don't die in the chair. So in the world of ultra running, a lot of people throw in the white towel when they're sat down in the chair at an aid station because the thought of getting up is worse than the actual doing the deed of getting up. And like I said earlier, the th- the fear of doing something is often worse than the doing of it. So for me, I'd refuse to quit while sat down in a position of comfort. Whether I was in my bed, whether I was sat in the van, whether I was sat on the floor, even just stood still in between laps of the marathon, do not quit whilst in comfort because it's mm-hmm. too easy and it is an emotional response, not a an actual response. Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's an emotional reaction, not a response. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another thing there and don't don't react but respond but anyway um so the next part of that was if i can start i can finish so if i can take one step to start that marathon then it means i can finish the marathon yes shit can go wrong along the way but as long as you can take one step forward in front of the other you can keep moving forward and you can finish the day and then a good friend of mine always reminded me of a thing that he used to use when he was a professional rugby player was if i can finish a game then it means i can start the next one so if I can finish that day's run, then it means that I can at least take the first step in tomorrow's marathon. And then if we go back to rule number two, if you can start, yeah. you can finish. Yeah. So it was those three things on repeat. Don't quit whilst in comfort. Start if you can start, you can finish. And if you finish, you can start the next day. And and that was just on repeat. But I, I actually quit in Berkshire. I think it was yeah. not long after I'd run with you guys. I think it was like day 30 or something like that. It was a few days after. Yeah. It was around about, it was, I think it was a couple of days after I ran with you. Or maybe, no, it was actually a couple of days before because it was when my ankle was really, really bad. And then you and Aaron came out to help me on the next day because you'd seen I was really struggling on Instagram, which I'm still incredibly thankful for that. I and, rise, um, dude. Basically, my tibant had inflamed massively. I couldn't put any weight on it and it was taking me 30 minutes to do a kilometre. And Mm. I remember being 12 and a half miles in, half a mile from the van. And I was like, I can't do this. And I messaged my other half and said, I'm done. Come and get me. She was an hour away at mum's. And she actually drove over to come and pick me up to to call time on it. But I got back to the van whilst waiting for her, sat on the side of the van. And I just went back to that first statement. Was you on
0: your own this time as well? Yeah, on on my own,
1: running a shit lap running a route I'd had to find on the day because the ambassador let me down and then mm. still hasn't actually told me why he didn't turn up. But that's yeah. another discussion for another day. I won't name mm. and shame him. But um, so yeah, on my own, a Googled marathon route and trying to figure out how the hell I can keep moving. And I remember sat on the side of the van thinking, come on, you said, you wouldn't make a decision sat down to so get up and get moving. Just do a mile. Went out half a mile, came back half a mile, sat down. Okay, don't die in the chair, do it again. And I did mm. that on repeat ended up taking her two hours to get there. And by that point, I think I'd clocked up to about 20, just shy of 20 miles. And she's like, right, are we done? And I was like, no, nope, like, I'm going to finish. I'll finish today and then I'm done. And then got to the end of 26.2 miles and sat on the edge of the van in agony. She's like, right, now are we done. I was like, oh, no, because I said if I could finish today, I can start tomorrow. So I've got to at least try. Mm. Um and then that's how I got through that day. But yeah, I actually said the words out loud. I quit. Mm. But then realized it was an emotional response to a situation and not an actual reaction to the facts. Um, rethought it, worked through it, worked through that emotion, got over it, moved forward and lived to fight another day and to run the rest of the marathons and finish the 48.
0: Fucking oh, hell. Wow. Yeah, I didn't know that, obviously. Bloody hell.
1: Yeah. And I think that the thing is like, like I say, there's a lot of these like, seeker of challenges and doer of the hard stuff That like to hide that the fact that they thought of quitting or they quit or there's times where their inner monologue is telling them to stop and it's it's almost cool to be like nothing can hurt me I've Mm. got a callous mind and so on and so forth and and that's absolutely fine and that's that there is a level of mental resilience that you need to to mean that you don't think of quitting until a much more higher Mm. position of suffering than most yeah but I don't think it's helpful to people to think that think thoughts of quitting when it gets hard are normal. Yeah. Um, because then when people are doing something that they don't deem as hard as other people's, but it's still hard for them and they think of quitting, it's like, well, fucking hell. I can't even think of I'm thinking of quitting on my diet. How the fuck am I even going to lose another stone when there's this guy out there running 48 marathons? And it's like it's not about that. Like I thought of quitting every day. But I dealt with the emotion, dealt with it, reacted to it and, and got it done. And, and yeah, so I think don't ever think that people that do what you perceive to be hard things don't ever think of quitting because I can guarantee you they do yeah. almost daily. But we just have an ability to and a skill set that we've practiced and used that allows us to overcome that emotion.
0: It's, um, I think showing your vulnerability is quite powerful. I think it, it shows that you are truly in tune with who you are for me personally it's like that person if you show you're vulnerable for me or you'll show that you're struggling with things for me that shows that that's coming from an internal point of view it's not an external because you wouldn't do it would you within reason unless you're doing it for attention which i don't think people do but showing your vulnerabilities is perfectly fine i think anyway
1: yeah and Instagram Facebook social media we all like to live these polished lives filtered Mm. like videographers photographers we've all become amateur Sony camera users all the other (laughs) shit that comes with it and and I, I I get a bit of shit from the rugby lads about oh fucking oh you got your own videographer blah 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 and it's just like yeah we all live a polished life on social media and and that's the thing like showing your actual true self is often harder because the thing is as well the world of social media opinions are like assholes and everyone's got one but the problem mm. is now is that social media has given all these assholes an opportunity to air their opinion mm. so then people feel less like they can be vulnerable because if they admit like what they some of the things that i've said today like people could jump on it and try and cancel you out or tell you that you make like tell you you're wrong and mm. argue with you and it's like that's cool if you don't agree with me it's not a problem yeah. but that's my opinion and that's my belief and you don't have to agree with me that like but you don't have to argue with me on it either mm. And I think that's why a lot of people don't aren't as vulnerable and then don't talk about where they're at or what they've experienced or what they've really learned the fear of looking weak or soft or people taking the piss and that's why um I'll be rowing the Atlantic next year for calm because I've seen the negative react in the negative connotations of not being able to be vulnerable around people, let alone around the public mm. um, and in the worst possible circumstances. So the more people understand they can be vulnerable around the right people, then hopefully the more we'll see change in things like male suicide and, and so on and so forth. So yeah, I think, yeah, vulnerable, I'm waffling a little bit, but vulnerability is massive strength and mm. should never be deemed as a weakness.
0: So before we wrap this up, cause I'm aware of the time, let's talk about your next challenge Then you were doing. So he is doing this with the Marine that he mentioned earlier, but he didn't say his name, this is Jack. So Jack's a good lad. I went through basic training with him and actually spent quite a, well, I spent most of my time with Jack in training and we went, went, went to the same unit, which was 40 commando and he went to a different company. So we sort of got split up there, but Jack's a bloody good bloke. And, uh, so is this the guy that, uh, took your skiog
1: record? Yeah, not that I'm bitter about it or anything. He didn't, didn't just—he didn't just take it from me. He didn't just win like take it by a little bit. He that. fucking pissed all over it, and he did it with one arm as well. His shoulder went like three hours from the end, and was skiing with one arm. So Bastard. yeah, he's a prick, but he's a dickhead. But he's our dickhead, so that's fine. And um, yeah, so he's obviously a top bloke, and um, I got to know him through the skier. I've supported him through his challenges, and cheered him on and clapped for him and he's done the same for me. He came out and ran one of the marathons with me. I went over and supported his 24-hour chin at world record and basically I've got a few things lined up before that but next December me and two other friends were going to row the Atlantic and our fourth uh, teammate dropped out. So I spoke to Jack and Mm. jumped at the chance and i don't think he'd actually announced it yet because he's not great at public admin and social media but um we're going down to the boat tomorrow so i've got a three and a half hour car journey with him so i'll give him some shit about posting it on social media eventually but um but yeah so rowing the atlantic next december which is three thousand miles um across the atlantic ocean as part of the Talisker whiskey atlantic ocean race yeah i think i said that right but before that i've got a half Man the shits and giggles next weekend um and then i'll be back playing rugby in the winter and then i've got the marathon to saab which is dubbed the world's toughest foot race many argue it isn't but that's Mm. what it's called so i'm I'm rolling with that um Mm. deal with it fight me if you don't agree (laughs) um but um so that's 250 kilometers in the sahara desert over five or six days i think it is Mm
0: -hmm.
1: um and then i've got a full iron man and then then I'll have the Atlantic Row. So I'm going to try and be the first person to my knowledge to have completed the world's toughest run and the world's toughest ocean race in a 12 month period. Um, and then because as I say, elite idiocy, um, the hybrid athlete has become quite a common thing nowadays. And there's a lot of people that are like strong and Mm. do endurance and stuff like that. But there's very, very few to my knowledge that actually compete with that strength. So I'm going to try and see if I can get myself to Britain's natural strongest man under one Oh five in the same year as running an Ironman and all that other shit that I just mentioned. So yeah, next year is going to be pretty hectic. Um, A lot of training modalities that need to be considered and fit in around um, expecting my son to be born in January as well. So uh, there is a lot of shit happening next year, but yeah, a lot of stuff happening, um, a lot of stuff to try and raise awareness for very good causes and to make a difference to other people's lives as well as hopefully inspiring and showing other people that, you can achieve a lot if you, if you're prepared to do the work, put your mind to it and you're doing it for the reasons that matter.
0: Last point. So for people that are listening to this, like what's something like, you spoke about so many good points, but what's something for the, all right, for the general gym goer, let's, let's not, let's not talk about how naturally healthy people or whatever. Let's talk about the general person who just wants to start moving more. What would you advise them?
1: start just start like it's the easiest thing in the world but it's the hardest thing to do like i've I've referenced it's quite similar to having a kid a lot before like there's we all plan oh we'll wait for the perfect time the perfect income the perfect social environment blah 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 blah. and there's never a right time but you always make it work and because it means something to you once the little one arrives you're like actually i do have more time than i realized i can fit this in and you make it work because you don't have another option it's yeah. there now, it's in front of you. Um, and I think fitness, starting a new goal is very much like that. We all search for the perfect scenario to make that start, the perfect coach, the perfect plan, the perfect gym, the perfect time. And a lot of imperfect actions will always trump non-action. Um, there is a much better quote that puts that far more eloquently than I just bastardized it. But the point remains that just start. Like even if it's just even if you're 10 stone overweight and you want to start losing weight, just start increasing your daily step count. Just find one thing that you can improve on what you're doing right now and do it and then review it and then add to it. Don't try and change the world. Don't try and reinvent the wheel. Just start with one action that you can repeatedly do, that you can create a habit, that you can create momentum. And and I always say self-reflection is the tool that I think our population massively are weak on. And every night before I go to bed, when I'm brushing my teeth, I always make sure to actually properly look myself in the eyes Mm. and ask myself, did I do what I said I'd do today? Um, And that's something that I actually found really fucking hard to do when I first started doing it, like properly look yourself in the eyes and ask yourself that question. Um, And I think for those that want to start that necessarily are wasting time, if you've, if you, if you haven't started yet, just do that. Look yourself in the eyes, in the mirror, give yourself 30 seconds and ask yourself why you haven't started yet. And I guarantee you probably can't find a valid reason. So, yeah, my best advice, just start.
0: Just fucking start. Right. Right, John, if people want to uh, find you, because you massively care about followers and stuff, um, <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> where do they go? How do they seek out John, um, the fucking elite Idiot. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, mate. Genuinely, I got keys to buying a load of followers the other day. I'm like, "Fucking hell, you don't need to get a hobby." Anyway, it never stops, um, does it? Never <laughs> stops. There's always, there's always a critic, always a critic, and uh, it's always dressed up as banter or having a laughing emoji at the end of the sentence. But anyway, um, best place to be Instagram, which is underscore John Clark, which, as we confirmed at the start of the podcast, is my real name. That's his real name, guys. Um, If you're not an Instagram user and you're old school and Facebook, then it's just John Clark Coaching. Um, And I always say to anyone that's ever listened to me on a podcast, if there's anything that you wanted to ask me, wanted to explore more, anything that resonated with you and you wanted to delve a bit deeper, reach out. Like I am um, the whole point for social media to me is to be social is to try and help people. And the content that I put out is just trying to help others. It's not for my own social gratification. It's just to try and hopefully help other people be a little bit better and move a bit further forward. So yeah, genuinely if there's anything that you heard today that you want to reach out on, drop me an inbox and I'll always get back to you. Likewise, if you want to say really nice things and say that we both did a really good podcast, that's also appreciated as it helps James's reach and mine. So.
0: <laughs> Thank you, John. Right, okay. John, Cheers, mate. You've been an absolute legend. Cheers for that, dude.
1: No, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. And uh, yeah, I'll catch up with you soon.
0: Take care, buddy.